you would stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word. Open to the book of Matthew, chapter 9. We'll be reading verses 35 through to chapter 10, verse 7. Pastor Bruce concludes this series on Not a Fan, and this morning we will focus on going with Christ. Again, the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 7. If you use the Pew Bible that's uh, provided in front of you, you can find it on page 556. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. God, we just ask and come before you this morning that you would reach our hearts. God, that you would mold us and make us so, God, we can... Uh, yield to this purpose of yours, that we will go with you and to see the nations and the uh, neighborhoods around us change for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, that, in a nutshell, is our mission in life. It's our mission as a church. And it's what we're going to see as we conclude this series, Not a Fan, what our mission is, mission to go. Let me ask you a question. How many have seen the uh, movie starring Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. Raise your hand. Don't be bashful about that. Yeah, I love them. I, I think they're great. Uh, now I'm going to age myself just a little bit. How many of you know that the Mission Impossible began as a television series in the late 60s? How many knew that? Yeah, this section over here don't have a clue what that is. <laughs> they're like, television series, Mission Impossible? I didn't know there was such a thing. Uh, well, the TV series chronicled the missions of a team of secret IMF agents known as the Impossible Missions Force. And, of course, a hallmark of the series shows the team leader receiving his instructions on tape, such as your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is, and it would give the mission, and then it would go on and say, as usual, should you or any member of your IM force be captured or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your existence. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Mission impossible. Well, God has given us a mission in life, a mission as a church. And this mission, should we choose to accept it, is clear, is compelling, and it's even challenging. And with God's help, this mission is possible. That's right. So what is our mission? How would we summarize our mission that God has given to us? Well, our mission, if we take it from Matthew chapter 28, which we looked at in the very first message of this series, it is simply 
to make disciples of all nations. What we are saying is to make followers of Jesus Christ. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is why our church exists. It's our church's mission. It's your mission. It's my mission as a follower of Christ. So, since we're talking about followers of Christ and not a fan of Christ, what is a follower of Jesus Christ? And so far, we've seen in this series that we can define a follower, describe a follower with four simple words. And those words coming up on the screen are, number one is what? No. Number two is? Grow. Number three? Show. And number four that we're going to see today is go. So no, grow, show, and go. Four words. In fact, we saw that followers of Christ in the second message, they know Christ personally as their Savior and Lord. And then we learned in the third message that Christ followers not only know Christ, but once they come into a saving relationship with Him, they begin to grow in that relationship with Christ. How? Through God's Word and God's Spirit in community with God's people. But they just don't stop growing. There's a purpose in that growing. And that is to show Christ, as we saw last Sunday, to show Christ how? By loving and serving people in the church and in the community. So, question, are we fans or are we followers of Christ? Well, this morning we want to look at today is that fully devoted followers of Jesus not only know, grow, and show, but they go with Christ to share the gospel with the lost, both locally and globally. Now, this idea of going, or go, it's another defining mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus' disciples, and in particular his 12 disciples, going with him wherever he went in order to do whatever he did. And so immediately we can say that a follower of Jesus is one who goes. It's one who goes wherever God calls them to go and does whatever God calls them to do. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus tells us, Go, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And so that's our mission in life. And the reason we go with Christ. It's because Jesus tells us later on in verse 20, he says, And lo, I am with you. Now that's a comforting thought, right? The idea that Christ is with us through the Spirit of God, even to the end of the age. And so when we go, we're not going by ourselves. We're not going alone. We're going with the authority of Christ. We're going with the presence of Christ and the power of Christ. That's an awesome thought. So what does it mean to go? Well, the word go means exactly what you think it means. It means to travel, to depart. In fact, it means to take a journey. And so followers of Jesus, they go with Christ. And if you're here this morning, and if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, and you're not going, then we need to make a conclusion that something is wrong, because following Jesus always involves Going. It involves taking the gospel to people where they work, where they play, where they live. In other words, our mission is to be gospel living, gospel speaking people as we go with Christ. So, this morning, what I want to do is answer three simple questions. 
in relation to going with Christ. Those questions are who, what, and where. Three questions. Who, what, and where. So let's look at the first question of who. Who is called to go? Who is called to go? And the answer to this question is every follower of Jesus Christ is called to go. Every follower. Why? Here's the simple reason why. Because God has chosen to use people to reach people. God has chosen to use people to reach people. Ever wonder why God doesn't just simply poke his head out of the heavens and shout to the world, believe in me. I mean, wouldn't that be an easier way of doing it? I mean, why doesn't God use angels to proclaim the message of his son, Jesus Christ? Uh, Why does God want to use flawed people like myself, like yourself? Well, I don't know all the answers to those questions, but what I do know is that God's plan for reaching people is through people like you and like me. Think about your own life and your own testimony of coming to Christ in a saving relationship with Him. How did that process happen? More than likely, for most of you here this morning, you came to know Christ through another person. Somebody had an influence on you. Somebody proclaimed the message, began to tell you about the gospel. Somebody made an invitation to you to either come to church or hear the gospel. In some fashion or form, God used people in your life to bring you into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what we find now in Matthew 10 here in this text that that, uh, Kirk read for us is that Jesus is sending his disciples out on a mission. In verse 1 of Matthew 10, Jesus gives the disciples authority to heal the sick and to drive out demons. And then, I find it interesting, Jesus listed the 12 disciples by name, which kind of tells me that everybody's important. Everyone's important. Everybody has a name. Everyone has significance. We learned last Sunday, God has gifted you. You're valuable to the kingdom of God, and God wants to use you to reach more people for him. And so he lists the apostles by name. In verse 5 it says, then these 12 Jesus sent out. Now, interesting word there. The Greek word for sent out is the word apostello, from which we get the word you can even hear, apostle. Sent out. It's the idea of apostle. And that word phrase, sent out, it literally means to send out on a mission. So before... Now, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, we have this in Matthew 10 with his 12 disciples. Now he's he's died, he's resurrected. Before he goes to heaven, Jesus comes to his disciples again, and he tells them in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father hath sent me, and what did the Father send the Son to do? To come from heaven to earth, and he had a mission to seek and to save the lost. And he accomplished that mission by dying on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins. And of course, in that, he also was investing in the life of 12 other dudes so they could continue the mission of Jesus Christ. And so now Jesus comes to disciples before he leaves this earth, and he says, listen, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Sending them to do what? Sending us to do what? To continue Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost to fulfill the mission of making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And, of course, that process begins with ones who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, in a real way, every follower of Jesus should see themselves 
as someone who is on a mission for God. In a real way, every one of us here who claims to be a follower, we should view ourselves as a missionary who is sent out on a mission for God. In fact, according to Jesus, we talked about this already, people are God's method for winning the world to himself. And every follower is called to do this. Listen, no one is exempt from this call. And yet, how many of us, we look at our life and we wonder, oh, I think I'm exempt. I'm the exception to this. No, no, there are no exceptions. There are no exemptions. Every one of us has been called to go. We have a mission. Did you know that you have been sent out on a mission? The moment you know Christ personally as your Savior and Lord and become a follower of Jesus, you've been given a mission in life. And of all the missions in the world, and let me tell you, there are significant missions in the world. People, every, most people are on a mission in life to do something, to accomplish something. And in some people's mission, it's, you know, it's not very big. It's pretty small. It's just, hey, I just want to survive. I just want to have a job. I want to make a living enough to provide for my family, have a house, have a vehicle, and, and just survive. And, and, and if I can enjoy life along the way, then that's even better. And that's their mission. Of course, there are other missions. Some people have greater missions. They want to climb the corporate ladder. They want to achieve this. They want to do this. You know, they have their bucket list, if you will. There's all kinds of missions out there that people are on. But folks, listen to me. This is the greatest mission in all the world, is helping people to know Christ personally. Here's a question. In fact, it's coming up on your screen. Have you ever wondered why, when God saved you, he left you here on earth? I mean, think about it. If God had wanted to, he could have taken you directly to heaven the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. But he didn't. The evidence is you're right here. Which means he left you on earth for a reason. We're here for a purpose. We're here for his mission. William Arnott, who was a Scottish pastor in the 18th century, put the matter this way. Listen as I quote his words. He says, To every true Christian, these two things may be said. You have need of Christ, and Christ has need of you. The simple fact that a Christian is on earth and not in heaven is proof that there is something for him to do here. And if he is not doing it, the neglect shows either that he is not yet a Christian or that he is a Christian who grieves Christ. So what is it that God left you on earth to do then? Let me phrase it another way. What can we do here on earth that we cannot do in heaven? Well, you can worship in heaven, you can sing in heaven, you can fellowship with other believers in heaven, you can even rest in heaven. How many are thankful for that? Right? Yes, we look forward to that day of rest. But there are only two things you cannot do in heaven. One of them is sin, right? Because heaven is the perfect place. And the other thing you can't do in heaven is share the gospel with unbelievers, with what Christ calls the lost, those who do not know Christ personally in a saving relationship with Him. Why? Because only those who know Christ as their Savior and Lord will be in heaven. There will be no lost people in heaven. Now, which of those two do you think God leaves you on earth to do? To sin or to share the gospel? Yeah, think about it for a moment. 
Why does God leave you here on earth? He leaves you here to, to, to continue Christ's mission of seeking and saving the lost. So who is called to go with Christ? Our first question, and the answer is, every follower of Jesus is called to go because God has chosen in His plan, in His sovereignty, to use people to reach people. Second question, what are we called to do? What are we called to do? Well, the answer is to share the gospel with the lost. That is our calling. I'm sure some of you have heard the quote, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. How many have heard that quote before? Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And I think we can appreciate what people are getting at when they say something like this. As Christians, we should live in such a way that our lives point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. However, good intentions cannot overcome the problem with this quote. It's not entirely biblical. Yes, we want our actions to match our words as much as possible, but the gospel, listen, is a message to be declared. The gospel is the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ that must be shared. What is the gospel? The Apostle Paul summarized the gospel as basically the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through whom sin is atoned for. Sinners are reconciled to God, and the hope of a resurrection awaits all who believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, the gospel, in a nutshell, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, where the Apostle Paul writes these words. Listen to what he says. He says, now, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. And now he defines the gospel. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So what does this mean, then, for us when it comes to sharing the gospel with the lost in our day today? Well, notice the message here of the gospel. Since the gospel is the saving work of Jesus Christ, it isn't something we can do. But it is something we must proclaim through words. True, a godly life should serve as a witness for the message we proclaim, But folks, listen to me. Without words, what can our actions point to but ourselves? As Ed Stetzer writes, and he's the president of Lifeway Research, he says these words here. A godly life cannot communicate the incarnation. That is, when Jesus took on human form. Or Jesus' substitution for sinners on the cross. Or the hope of redemption by grace alone through faith alone. We can't be good news, but we can herald it, sing it, speak of it, and preach it to all who listen. Jesus says this himself in Mark chapter 13, verse 10, when he says, The gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations, he says. The fact is, verbal communication of the gospel is the primary method, the primary means by which people are brought into a right relationship with God. 
The Apostle Paul makes this point for us in the video. That passage that you saw in the video is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. And again, let me read it for you, but this time out of the New, out of the New Living Translation. Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. John Piper said, There is no salvation without the witness of a man or woman to Jesus Christ. You and I are the indispensable link in the chain of redemption. In other words, if we are to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, then we must use words to share the gospel with the lost. It must be proclaimed. It must be verbalized and communicated to them. Now, I think there's two lessons we can draw on this sharing the gospel from our text in Matthew chapter 9 and 10. Two lessons from Jesus and the disciples when he sent them out on a mission. And so here's the first lesson we learn from Jesus and his disciples, is that we need to keep the message simple with the lost. Keep the message simple with the lost. When Jesus sends his disciples out on a mission, notice what he tells them to say in verse 7. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. And here's the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, is that complicated or simple? That's pretty simple, isn't it? I didn't get a whole lot more simpler than that. The kingdom of heaven is near. That was the message he sent them out to proclaim and to share. It's a pretty simple message, but what does it mean? Well, understand this. this, When he says the kingdom of heaven is near, Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. That is who he was. And so Jesus, in a very humbly, is telling his disciples, hey, preach about me. Share about me. Communicate about me. Like Paul said, I preach Christ in him crucified. That's the heart of our message. It doesn't have to be complicated. We don't have to make it complicated. It's a simple message of both bad news and good news. That's the gospel. It's not complicated. It's a message of bad news and good news. You say, bad news? Oh, yeah. The gospel includes bad news. You say, what's the bad news? The bad news is that every one of us here, we all stand as sinners before a holy God. And because of our sin, we are separated from God and will be judged by God if something doesn't change in our life. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And so we are sinners, get this, both by birth and by choice. No one is exempt from that. Our born identity in life is we are sinners. That's the bad news. I read about a man named Fred Turner who a number of years ago decided to walk across America to prove that most people in this world are good. He made it through only one state before he was robbed and pushed off a bridge. 
According to Turner, a faded red pickup truck pulled next to him while he was walking across the bridge. They asked me if I was the guy walking across America, he said. I told them yes. And they said, good, give me your wallet. And then they pushed him off the bridge. He dropped off the bridge falling 75 to 100 feet. Here's the point. Humanity is not basically good. Humanity is basically bad. In fact, very bad. That's the bad news. We are born sinners, and by choice we are sinners. That is our born identity. But the good news is, God loves us so much that he acted in his son Jesus Christ to save us. Yes, the bad news is the wages of sin is what? Death. Separation from God. But the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life. Not just in anyone. It's not eternal life in ourselves, in our works, and what we can do. But it's eternal life in who? Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own Son toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now, we can be made right with God, a holy God. Not by religion, not by our works, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we now can be born again. And so our born identity, the bad news is we are sinners. But our born again identity through Jesus Christ is what? We are reconciled to God. We are now sons and daughters of God. And that's how he views us. That's how he treats us instead of as a sinner. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us in our faith in him. In fact, If you want one verse, one simple verse that catches or captures the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's found in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. You may want to write that down. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. One verse. If you can only share one verse, and yes, you can use John 3, 16 as well. I like this verse. What Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, God made him that is Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel in one verse. Listen, the gospel is a very simple message, and we are called to share that message with the lost, get this, very aggressively and very passionately. Now, immediately right now, There are some of us, in fact, probably half this room, if not more of us, the thought of sharing the gospel is just scaring us to death. We're horrified by that. In fact, some of us here, we tend to think of worst-case scenarios when it comes to sharing the gospel with the lost. Such as, well, what if I get in a conversation? I don't know what to say. Or, Or what if someone asks me a question? I don't know the answer. Well, welcome to the boat where Jesus' disciples rode as well. Jesus' disciples probably had the same concern as you have. And here's what Jesus told his own disciples. And I think what Jesus tells his disciples concerning this fear, worst-case scenarios, I don't know what to say and where I'm, you know, be tongue-tied, has application for us even today. If you come back to Matthew chapter 10 in our text there, later on, Jesus tells them in verses 19 and 20, he says, But when they arrest you, 
Now, some of us may not think that has application, but that day is coming. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is one of the most amazing promises in Scripture. You go and share the gospel, and God's Spirit will give you the words to say. Man, how many have experienced that, where you have prayed in, a, in just a moment, God, help me, give me the words to say. And just, it seems like a few seconds later, God gives you the words to say. You find yourself speaking. And it's like, man, where did that come from? I'm telling you where it came It's the Spirit of God within you at work. As you submit and live by the Spirit, God will give you wisdom and guide you what to say. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn what to say. We shouldn't learn the basics of the gospel and understand that it's nutshell, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we must put our faith in that for salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we shouldn't practice. But when, you know, sometimes we can just be overwhelmed and we use that as an excuse when all we have to do is just go and share and trust God. Trust His Spirit. He will guide us. He will lead us. He will give us the words to say. So when you don't know what to say, here's a clue. Drift back to Jesus. You find yourself in a conversation, always drift back to Jesus. Run to the cross with that person. And trust God's Spirit to give you the words to say. So when sharing the gospel, here's the first lesson we learned. Keep the message simple. Don't complicate it. And get this, don't be ashamed of the gospel simplicity in our world today. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not, what? ashamed of the gospel. In fact, it's our, our world outreach theme. Notice these big posters around here. Notice the big word. What's the big word? Unashamed. So don't be ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And now he tells us why. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Woo! Amen, right? So don't underestimate the power of the gospel to save even the worst of sinners. Hey, if the Apostle Paul can come to know Christ, then anyone can come to know Christ. The gospel is powerful, and yet it is simple. Second lesson we learn is keep compassion central for the lost. Keep compassion central. Matthew 9, verse 36. Going back to our text here, with Jesus, and it says this about Jesus. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, that's quite a statement about a lost person's true condition in life. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus uses two words to describe people. Did you notice, did you catch those two words? He said they are harassed and helpless. Those words are meant to create a word picture in our minds of wounded sheep. Sheep who are wounded, torn up by hostile animals or difficult elements and who are unable to help themselves. In other words, Jesus saw people as worn out, as torn up and beaten down. They were barely making it in life. And Jesus sees them in this condition and he has compassion on them. Why? Because the cause of their distress is that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, keeping compassion central in our lives, in our hearts, 
It starts with simply seeing people's true condition in life. And that's hard for us to do. I'll be honest with you. That's hard some, sometimes. Because all of us gravitate toward PLU. You know what PLU stands for? People like us. That's what we normally gravitate to. And so by nature, we tend to hang around people who look like us, talk like us, dress like us, act like us, and think like us. And I'm not saying that's necessarily sinful or wrong, but if we're going to keep compassion central, then we must open our eyes and we must see the peoples of the world as Jesus saw them. Jesus saw something the disciples didn't see. Did that mean the disciples were blind? I mean, were they physically blind? No, they weren't blind, but they didn't see what Jesus saw. And consequently, they didn't feel what he felt. Jesus was moved with compassion. Listen, the world is full of people who are worn out, torn up, and beaten down, both physically and spiritually. And as long as we close our spiritual eyes, even our physical eyes, because you do have to look physically... We will never see what Jesus saw and feel what Jesus felt. And consequently, we will never share what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection. Now, my personal belief is that this is a key reason why we don't share the gospel more than we do. Let me say it this way. I I say it's it's my personal belief because I know it's true of me. And perhaps it's true of you as well. We live in a church culture nowadays that has a dangerous tendency to disconnect the grace of God in our own lives from the heart of God from the world. Let me say that again. We have a tendency to disconnect the grace of God in my life from the heart of God for the world. Now, we resonate with the idea of enjoying God's grace personally, right? Who doesn't? I mean, God's grace, His amazing grace, is worthy of our attention. Amen? Absolutely. But if that grace is disconnected from the heart of God for the world, the sad result is a self-centered Christianity. We need to be reminded of a gospel truth here this morning. And that truth is this. Jesus didn't die just for you. In other words, Jesus didn't die just for me. But when we minimize, notice this coming up on the screen in your notes, but when we minimize the scope of the gospel to just me, we bypass the heart of God for the world. If I were to ask the average Christian in America to summarize the message of Christianity, you would probably hear something like this. Well, the message of Christianity is that God loves me. Or someone might say, the message of Christianity is that God loves me enough to send His Son Jesus to die for me. And as wonderful as that sounds, is it biblical? Listen, at best, it's incomplete. Listen, God loves me 
is not the essence of Christianity. Because if God loves me, is the message of Christianity, then who is the object of Christianity? Well, me. I am. Therefore, as David Platt writes in his book, Radical, when I look for a church, I look for the music that best fits me and the programs that best cater to me and my family. When I make plans for my life and career, it's about what works best for me and my family. When I consider the house I will live in, the car I will drive, the clothes I will wear, and the way I will live, I will choose according to what is best for me. This is the version of Christianity that largely prevails in our culture, and I couldn't agree more with him. So the message of Christianity is not, God loves me, period. As if, end of story, that's all there is to it. As if we are the object of our own faith. No, the message of Christianity is, get this, God loves me, yes, that is true, so that I might make him known to all the people. That's why God loves you. That's why God sent His Son Jesus to die for you. That's the message of the Gospel. That's the broad scope of the Gospel. It's not narrow to just you. He loves you, yes, so that you now can make Him known to all the peoples of the world. Which brings us to our last question. Where are we called to go? To all peoples, locally and globally. In Matthew chapter 10, Going back to our text here, our story of Jesus sending his disciples out on a mission. He sends them out with the following instructions in verses 5 and 6. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. What Jesus is doing here with his 12 disciples in the initial beginning stages of his ministry is he wanted his disciples to go locally to the Jewish people first. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? No, we know that. Because after his death and resurrection, Jesus expanded the mission when he tells us to go to all peoples, both locally and globally, in Matthew 28, 19, when he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And that word is people groups. To all peoples. We see this same local and global mission repeated in Acts 1.8 when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, there's local, and in all Judea and Samaria, expanding even further out and to the ends of the earth, global. Now, we're getting ready to have our World Outreach Celebration, our missions conference in fact, uh, Roger Smith will be our guest speaker next Sunday and kick us off. And uh, so two Sundays, we'll have a guest missionary speaking. And so let me focus, because that's our, our global focus, let me bring this to the local emphasis here for us today in application. Now let me ask, throw out a question. Why do so many Christ followers struggle to reach out locally to their neighbors with the gospel? Let me throw out one answer to this. One pastor says the problem is that Christians tend to view their homes as their castles. And if our home is our castle, then our driveway is our moat, and the garage door is our drawbridge. We enter our castles, and we close our drawbridges without ever having to say hello to our neighbors. 
And I'm like, yeah, man, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. There have been times when I've spent so much time inside my castle that I have lost sight of the people around me. And folks, remember, the key to compassion is you have to see the people. You have to be among the people. You have to be living with the people. And if you lose sight of the people, you will in turn, and sooner or later, you will lose your burden for the people, for the lost. So let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, to let down the drawbridge and keep it down. You say, what does that mean? It just means get out of your house. Get out of your house. Take a walk. Just stand in the driveway for 30 minutes and just anybody that comes around, hi, hi, you know. And if you're brave enough to venture past your driveway, then get, and if you have a dog, get your dog and just walk around your neighborhood. One of the things I've been doing here last year, trying to keep, you know, I'm at midlife, getting ready to turn 46, and so the you know, trying to keep it down a little bit, Bill, is I, you know, I, I try to walk my dog at least four times a week and walk a mile or more. And it's amazing how many people you meet in your neighborhood. Now, I understand here in the Midwest, Kansas City, this is prime time to do that because once January comes, there ain't nobody going out of their castle in the cold and winter time. And so we kind of hibernate for about three months or two months here in the Midwest. But, folks, listen, we're in prime time. Just walk. Play, ride your bike, do whatever. And, and, and when you walk, don't just look down focusing on your own little world. Stop and greet somebody. Stop and say hi. I've, we've met more new, more new people. And just introduce yourself. You have to build relationships with people. You've got to get to know their names. Uh, and, and then going back to last Sunday's message, show Christ to them by serving and loving them. You say, what does that look like? i give you one simple illustration from my wife and I. We have new neighbors right next door to us. Young couple, they just had a brand new baby. Little girl, Mackenzie's her name. And so Darla and I, we, you know, we could see that she's growing and that she's pregnant. So we're talking, we, and we talk with them, and a real nice couple. And uh, so we're like, oh, okay, what can we do for them? Like, How can we show Christ? We're like, eh, let's don't get them a gift. You know, they probably got family to do that. So how about a meal? We'll take a meal to them. So that's what Darla did. She made a big pot of soup, took it over there. And uh, just got reacquainted as a way to just serve them. You know, just to build a bridge of some sort. You know, and who knows where that will take us. But, you know, my responsibility. They're my responsibility. They're my world locally, not yours. Um, but that's what Darla and I need to do. Get out. Let your drawbridge down. So here are a couple of opportunities for all of us now churchwide. All of us churchwide to go to all peoples. Go to all peoples locally at Trunk or Treat, and then go to all peoples globally at the World Outreach Celebration. Now, in all seriousness, uh, there's two inserts in your bulletin, and let me encourage you to look at these. There's this one, and then there's this one. There's the Trunk or Treat insert, and our goal is to have 30 cars decorated for Trunk or Treat uh, down at Crestview Elementary School on Halloween night from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, we got free food that we give out, hot chocolate cider, we grew hot dogs, and of course the candies provided by our church. Everything's free. It's a service to our community. And we'll have anywhere from 300 to almost 700 people, kids and adults, come through that, depending on what the weather's like and what day Halloween is on. 
Um, and it's a great thing that our, our church is able to do for our community here. And, and they look forward to it. They anticipate it. They're, they build their trunk or treating around it now. I have, I have literally families tell me that. Um, and so it's a great way for our church to make a presence in this community. And that's what's being done over now. This will be our seventh or eighth year doing this. And, of course, we, we, we give out tracts. We give out inf- literature to, about our church. Um, and so, but right now we have 23 vehicles signed up. Our goal is to have 30 cars. And so, uh, man, sign up on the back table. This is a great way, church-wide, for us to go locally to show and go with Christ. All right? And then the other way on this insert, of course, I've already made mention of it, is our World Outreach Celebration, which the emphasis of that is all about going locally. And you're like, go locally? I mean, travel around the world? Yeah. And you're like, what does that mean? Come to the World Outreach Celebration. And you'll learn how you can go globally. And some, that even means physically going. For others, it may mean you stay here and you help others go locally. And there's different ways you can do that. And so let me encourage you to make plans. I know we have new people in our church over the last two or three years. And maybe you've never participated in our World Outreach Celebration because the structure of it is a little different than our normal structure times. It's, you know, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. You mean you want me to give up three nights starting at 7 o'clock? Yeah, that's what we're asking. And we believe in it enough to ask you that because we believe the mission of God globally is important enough to ask. And we know that you will be blessed by it. You will be challenged. You will be motivated. And you will be a blessing and encouragement to those missionary families that are here those three nights. And so let me encourage you to mark it on your calendar. Give up. Set something aside. I know you'll have to do that. You'll have to give up something to do this. And it's worth it to come those three nights at 7 o'clock and be a part of our World Outreach Celebration. Uh, Men, we have a men's breakfast on Saturday morning, and ladies, the ladies' luncheon. And, of course, that Sunday is our our climax. Uh, We'll have missionaries in our discovery hour. We'll have uh, Roger speaking again that Sunday morning. And then, of course, that Sunday night as well is a special time uh, for our church family. Everybody's invited, though, down in the multipurpose room uh, where we'll uh, have communion and just a real special time of praying for our missionary families, laying hands on them, praying for them, and, and we'll also give them their missionary mail. And you're like, a missionary mail, what's that? Check your bulletin. It's in the insert there, what the missionary mail is. It's a great thing, Okay. And so let me encourage you to take advantage of these opportunities to go to all peoples locally and globally. So, real quickly here, let's recap what we've learned about going with Christ. Who's called to go? Every follower of Jesus is called to go. No one is exempt because every follower has been sent out on a mission. What are we called to do? To share the gospel with the lost. Remember, the gospel is a message that must be proclaimed with words. So keep it simple and don't be ashamed about its simplicity. Where are we called to go? To all peoples, locally and globally. So, it's now time, once again, as we do at the end of every message here, to have the DTR talk. For those of you who are it's your first time here, who knows what the DTR talk is? It's where you define the relationship. Find out where are we at in this. Is it real? Is it false? Am I a fan of Christ, or am I a really a fully devoted follower of Christ? Because fully devoted followers of Christ know Christ, go... Uh, sh- 
grow in Christ, show Christ, and go with Christ. So here's the question you need to ask. Am I going with Christ to share the gospel with the lost locally and globally? Am I doing that? Followers do this. Most of you know Billy Graham's been used by God to share the gospel with millions of people all over the world. And in his autobiography, how many have read his autobiography? Just as I am. It's a great book. Billy Graham writes, The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is crucial. Every generation is strategic. But we are not responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear full responsibility for the next one. However, he says, we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible at the judgment seat of Christ for how well we fulfilled our responsibilities and took advantage of our opportunities. So let me give you quickly here three next steps for going with Christ. Real quickly. You need three B's. If you're going to go with Christ, you need three things to put into practice to take next steps. The first B is you're going to need a burden. Because without a burden, you will not go and share Christ. How do you get a burden? Start praying for at least one lost person. By name. Who is in your local world. Where you work, where you live, where you play. Doesn't matter. Number two, the second B, you need a bridge. You've got to have a bridge to the lost. And that means you have to invest and build some type of relationship with lost people. That's one reason why we don't share. It's because don't, I don't know any lost people. I don't hang out with any lost people. I don't, we can't even name one by name. So get out of your castle. Let down the drawbridge where you live. And introduce yourself to your neighbors. And then third B, you need, you need some boldness. Because it's going to take boldness to open up our mouths and share the gospel. And right now, we're all afraid. So like Paul, pray like he did. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, look, look, hear what he prays. He says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth and make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. So there you go. Three things you need to take next steps. Let's pray. As we come to our response time, and before I pray, here's how I want you to respond. I want you to take this time, a few minutes here while the praise team sings, to pray for one lost person in your life. Lift up one lost person. Perhaps you don't know their name, but you know their face. Lift them up to God. And pray for them that God would open their eyes. And then pray that God would use you to make known the gospel to them. And while you're praying for them, pray that God would give you boldness. Two things to pray for in our response here as the praise team sings. Mm -hmm.